On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Marissa Saunders. She is the Senior Director of Data Science at Recursion. We're going to talk a lot about R&D within the data science space. And I think we're going to touch on some really interesting topics because I think when you look at R&D and you look at what done is, I think it's going to mean a lot of things for different companies. Getting caught up in trying to get to 100% done, 100% accuracy is always going to be a concern. Understanding business value and, and also ROI. Uh, you know, we got to make sure that uh, we actually understand how to measure and evaluate the ROI in these type of projects. Marissa, thanks for joining the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat a little bit today. Awesome. So before we dive in, uh, I guess just tell us what Recursion does so we're, we're all aware before we go further. Yeah, happy to. Um, so Recursion is really focused on this idea of how do we industrialize drug discovery um, and really move from a space where we talk about biotech to where we're talking about tech bio. Now, what do I mean by that? Drug discovery is really expensive and it takes a really long time. It can take 10 plus years to get a new drug to market and it takes millions and millions of dollars. We feel like there has to be a better way. And so I think one of the key factors here is that when we traditionally think about drug discovery, we start from a very one-dimensional target-based hypothesis and move a compound through. And there are just so many places to fail. And it is expensive to do that in sort of a one-off manner. And so at Recursion, what we're doing is we're trying to really throw a whole lot of more hypotheses into this funnel of drug discovery, fail fast, and in that way, drive to value more quickly and less expensively than you would through traditional pharma. Awesome. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna derail our top. I'm gonna derail my my intro is gonna somebody's gonna listen to this and go. Well, hold on. I thought you were gonna talk about something else, and I think we'll stay on on topic. But I actually interviewed somebody uh, yesterday, and we touched on something that I thought, as you're just describing what the company does, of failing fast. And I was like, I, I wonder how this fits. Um, I'm not sure if it's your area, but but I'm gonna just ask you just to start yeah, off. And, you know, he was talking about how you know obviously Intel, Nvidia, these microchip you know, these semiconductor companies have tons of money invested in R&D. And now we're starting to see small startup or upstart chip companies who are leveraging uh, artificial intent, uh, intelligence, gen AI, to come up with, you know, answers to some hypothesis, you know, per, permutations of chip design. And they're going out and testing these designs without actually having to fully manufacture and as you're saying, going from biotech to tech bio, and you're talking about drug, disco drug discovery being target-based, I instantly thought of, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about the hypothesis and ideation, so we'll, we'll segue into the, the, the show. How does that fit in within your world? Because obviously, drug, I mean, semiconductors is one thing. Drug discovery is very much something else. But how does that potentially come into play in, in, in your environment? Yeah, you know, I think it's really a very good and interesting question. I think one of the hallmarks of drug discovery is that the costs increase the further and further down the pipeline that you get, and the time that it takes gets longer and longer for each phase as you progress further along. So really, ideally, what you want to do is be able to use smart metrics, smart predictions, some of these AI capabilities to pull in what exists in literature already to evaluate some of these critical questions around strategy, around tractability and patient connectivity, and around sort of how do we measure signal of is a compound doing what we want it to do early on so that we go from this world of, you know, thousands of different 
programs that we could pursue around different diseases to these are the ones that we feel most confident we can get to market quickly. And so in that way, it's not that we're saying we're starting with, I want to focus specifically on this facet of oncology. It's that we're we're casting a wide net. We're saying, let's look across the diseases that we can see doing a full gene knockout kind of an experiment and evaluate amongst all of those, what are the strongest ones? How do we get those into the more expensive phases more quickly? And in that way, drive forward relatively quickly. And I guess as you're kind of looking at, you know, I guess the the process of bringing a drug to market, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I've, I've heard you got to go through the various steps. At the end, you do have to do t- trials. FDA has to approve. It seems like a, a staggering amount of time and money that goes into that process and at the end obviously you're left with you know a go no go is there a way or or do you envision maybe maybe this is more of a future question uh, do you envision down the road we're going to see better leveraging of gen ai to reduce that risk to actually get a higher translation of you know drug testing clinical to actual uh making it to the shelves Yeah, absolutely. So look, if we think about drug discovery, human beings are hugely variant, right? And we have a lot of genetic variation and the kinds of compounds that we use will vary based on particular proclivities of how you metabolize a drug, what the particular thing is that you're trying to treat. And we are just getting to the place where we have that genetic information. We have information about transcriptomics in these cells. We have information about some of this connectivity that we're starting to develop. And so we are getting more and more of that information. And I think the only way that we're going to be able to synthesize it and to think about experimenting is through some of these AI models to sift through it, to make recommendations, um, and to help us connect really a particular patient or a particular patient population with the compounds that we are trying to develop. As we get into these phases of you know clinical uh, testing, there's this really important problem that I wasn't really aware of until I started here at Recursion, which is we can't do testing over a very big population, right? The number of people that we enroll in these trials at each phase is really, really limited. And so it's important that we pick the right people, that we know where our drug is likely to work, that we understand sort of what is that market that we're targeting and get those right people in, because that's a big determinant in whether we see success or failure of particular compounds. Is there any any similarities to when we talk about... Because actually, it's interesting. I didn't know, obviously, a smaller target. To a degree, it makes sense. Because obviously, if you know your drug works within a very small population, maybe you expand that and, and, and you can actually do further clinical tests, which is which is kind of a hallmark of, of a startup, right? You get the MVP right. out if it works for some people. Right. You expand, right? right. It's, it seems like it makes sense to me. Yep, absolutely. And I think um, we often... You know, there's so much noise in biological systems across the board that when you're limited to, you know, a pool of under 100 people for some of these trials, it's super important that you do the right things to minimize the noise in that sample because otherwise you have things failing and you don't understand why it is, but you can't, you don't have that motivation to do another cycle because you just have, it's so expensive. I guess, and this might be a very, uh, a non-applicable question, but but out of curiosity, if if you are looking at these drugs and you are able to prove it within a small sample population, I'm not sure where the data lies, right? Obviously, we have hospital systems, we have medical systems, we have all this data about patients that are stored. 
I mean, it'd be very interesting to see if you could take the drug that has worked on this sample population and then go sit on top of all that universe of data and see who else you can help. And I obviously not many companies like to share data. So that, that that's, that's, but, but it would be very fascinating because all of a sudden this pool of it works for this prototypical person can be found within the data, within the markers that you might be able to identify leveraging some, you know, data science, machine learning, AI, but I, I don't know how far off that is in terms yeah. of cooperatives. That is so absolutely right. And it was actually really interesting. One of the challenges with this data that we have at hospitals on different patients is it's just not clean. I'm sure your user, you know, your listeners have talked before about how important it is to have data that you can connect to each other. Um, and there's just not that level of connectivity in most of this data. And so um, I'm really excited. We've partnered recently here at Recursion with a company called Tempest um, that does a lot of this. They, they sort of said, hey, there's got to be a better way to gather data on oncology specifically. And we've partnered to use their data to try to do these very, very same things of having this large pool of connected data, understanding some of the causality behind things. Um, and so this is, you know, this is a huge potential in the future. It is a thing that we're we're really interested in. I'm really interested in thinking about. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll have to keep an eye on that one. That's 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 a good topic. Um, talking about hypothesis and ideation. So I guess it kind of ties into some of what we've been talking about, right? So obviously, even when we talk about the hundred person sample or you know the clinical study, obviously within data science, you're working on various models. You know the drugs themselves go through an R&D. How does that parallel? So your team, how do you parallel and kind of work and partner with them in terms of when it comes to, hey, we also need to invest R&D within data science so we can push the boundaries of how we can partner with the actual you know, making of of and, and doing the drug drug discovery? Yeah, so it's a really interesting question. I think I want to say a few more words about my particular role here at Recurred. So in my role, I am the teams that I lead are really very pragmatic and applied in what they're doing. And so they pair very closely with biologists and chemists. And we work very much on sort of the earlier, very preclinical phase of this discovery. So we're working on, you know, how do we go from we're interested in a gene to, okay, this is a way that we might test active or we're interested in a disease. How do we go to a way that we might test activity here to how do we get a early compound that then will go through some additional optimization downstream. And so in that way, what we're working on is really the questions of what are the models, what are the processes, what are the analytical workflows that we can use to industrialize this process and run it at scale. So we don't need to hire more chemists and more biologists for every program we want to pump through. We can do this in a more automated and computable way. It just a just a note. Um, well, well, you know, obviously, your LinkedIn background. People can look you up. You have a background within chemistry. Um, you have a PhD in physical chemistry. Um, you've got a deep background in this area. I, I guess a question I was going to ask you, just out of curiosity, of somebody like yourself who who's gotten into data science, obviously the math side and, and some of those fundamentals through your studies, you gain those. And obviously it's pretty common um, for, for a lot of technical science degrees to have some of those. As you work with the teams at Recursion and you're sitting there and you're partnering, it's got to be a, I mean, it's got to be a different conversation because I'm as you've been talking, there are so many terms. I We actually helped the company, you know, 
place some immunohistochemistry uh, limbs <laughs> analysts. It took me, uh, I, I, I consider myself, you know, fairly, it took me a while to phonetically pronounce that, just all joking aside. But the partnership with the teams that you're working with, obviously, you got, you just mentioned a few things that are very scientifically technical. And obviously, you have a background within chemistry and you know, a deep understanding. When you're partnering with them, kind of talk to us about where their role within your partnership starts and where it ends. Because as we're talking about ideation and hypothesis, that, that I think that has to be a very relevant partnership. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that is amazing at Recursion is that it is sort of founded on this idea that we all have to work together. We're solving really, really hard problems. We can't, data science alone can't do it. Biology alone can't do it. Chemistry alone can't do it. And so we have to lean into these cross-functional interactions. And I think a key driver there is knowing that I may be an expert in a certain set of things, but I'm definitely not going to be an expert in all things. And so getting that communication and that partnership right and not being afraid to ask those questions about, you know, what does this mean or how do we boil this down to something that a five-year-old can understand, as an example, so that we're talking the same language, we understand what problems we're trying to solve, and we have that tight connectivity so that we're solving for the right questions. Now, that's hard, right? This is this is a hard thing, and it's a thing we lean into a lot. We don't always get it perfect, but it's definitely a thing that we, I think, Recursion does very, very well compared to some of the other places that I've been at. In terms of the, that ideation process, who who starts? Is it is it is it the partnership? Do you guys take ideas? Do, do the people who are, you know, um, within the, the various roles on on the other side do they come with ideas or how how does that kind of pan out yeah so i mean i think what is interesting in the way that i think about this process is that i my philosophy is that it doesn't really matter where an idea comes from what we want to optimize for is getting to the right ideas or getting to the right key key questions to answer right and so in that way we we listen to our chemistry and biology partners. We interact closely with them. Um, and ideas come from multiple different places. I think um, in ideation, I want to be clear about two buckets of things. I think there's the ideation, where do we start with a disease or with a gene? And that level of ideation, I think, is driven in part by business strategy and in part is a thing that we're starting to automate and use, you know, language models to try to figure out where, what is the value in particular targets. Um, and so that is very much a part of the decision-making process that we want to automate. The other bucket of ideation is really like, what are the models that we're going to try to use to attack this problem or even what are the problems that we need to solve? What are the most important things there? And that is, I think, a place where we have a lot of really smart people working together to collectively to identify in this moment, what is the most important business problem for us to solve? What are a bunch of different ideas of how we could solve it? And then I think an important part here is it's not what can we do within this universe of infinite resourcing and infinite time, but really it's pragmatically what can we do with the constraints that we have on the timelines that we want to deliver with the people that we want to deliver? I think there's a theme here in sort of relating to startups, right? There's this idea about product market fit and that you do a lot of cycles of experimentation to figure out what is the right product market fit? where When is the product the right thing that somebody really latches onto? 
And then you take that product and you mature it. And I think similarly within our processes, we do a lot of experimentations of what what are different metrics that we can use or what are different models that we can build, work with the the scientists, the people who are experts in this process to figure out what are the right products and then deliver on those products. You know, it's interesting because obviously the model side um, where you you guys are solving problems that necessarily haven't been solved or, 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 you're, or you're pushing the boundaries and trying to find a, an optimal model. This is, uh, a, you know, you're in a mission critical space. A, dr- a drug uh, can't be 75% good. It's got to be really, <laughs> I don't know what the percent, it's got to be almost 100%. When I'm a lay person thinking about drug, I just want to think it's 100% good. It's not always the case. But when you're looking at your team and you guys are working on models and you have to you know, ensure you guys are delivering, you know, this is mission critical, you know, 100% is is potentially elusive. How do you avoid getting caught up in that and making sure that you're still moving forward and still delivering value, but still at the right level, whatever right is potentially? Yeah, no. So it's interesting, right? We think about a drug and we think about the end product and we want it to be 100%. But that doesn't mean that it has to be 100% every step of the way. Like we can think about this as, you know, a refining pipeline. Um, We are probably okay with making bets that are sick. You know, we're going to get right six out of 10 at a very early stage. And then we know that there are five stages downstream where we're gonna do deeper experimentation and we're going to do more things to drive that certainty up to a hundred. And so really for us, the important part is understanding, first of all, is this a space where we're going zero to one, where we just have a problem, we've never solved it before, there's not a clear answer, and we just have to figure out if there's a there there with the approach that we're taking, or are we in this place where We've, you know, gone zero to one and now it's like one to a hundred and we need to figure out how do we get 80% success rates here because we're okay with pushing through a hundred programs and getting 80 in the same amount of time as we would have taken, you know, getting 80 at maybe 80% as if we had pushed through 10 and gotten to nine with a hundred percent success rate, right? There's, there's just that flow of things through the system that, is important to understand. And it's important to understand where in that process you are. I think when we were talking before the show, um, I talked about this idea about, do we need to get to a hundred percent? And I think there's in many business applications, there's, there's a critical question that we need to ask about what is the impact of improving this model by 1% versus by 10%? And is that the place where I want to spend my resources? Is that the biggest impact place in the overall system of what I'm trying to optimize for? To that right there, that value to cost, obviously, as we go from 80 to 90 to 95, creeping towards 100, it's going to get more expensive. And the value it delivers, there's got to be a balance of what what that ROI might be, because obviously it might be worth it, right? Obviously, we've seen implementations of, you know, when you're talking to air, air, airplanes, it's expensive and that's why they're expensive, but they have to get to <laughs> as close Absolutely. to 100%. Absolutely, they have to get to that place. There's, there's just that risk profile. I think we see similar trade-offs when we think about, you know, medical tests of, in data science, we think often about this trade-off between 
um, whether you're going to have false positives or false negatives, because you're going to make mistakes on one side of the other. And where is it that you want to put your risk? I think similarly here, we need to understand uh, both the scale of what's the scale at which we're running this thing and what is the value for each percent increase. And so if we're running, you know, millions of things through and each each particular iteration has a high cost, then improving accuracy by 1% is great because we're going to get a lot of value return from that. If we're not at that scale yet, then maybe we're okay with a higher error rate and there's better places to optimize for cost. And so, you know, you started out this conversation talking a little bit about ROI and how you measure ROI. And I think that is such a critical question. And and it's not just at one part of the process where you have to think about ROI. It's really across this whole R&D or development life cycle because we have to think about ROI when we decide what problem it is we're going to solve. We have to think about it when we decide how how much we want to solve it, how close to 100%. And we have to think about ROI and other aspects like clean code and robustness and you know time to run through this thing. In all of those cases, we're weighing what we're what the effort is that we're putting in, what the work is that we're doing versus what the impact is that we think that we're going to get out. If I, I mean, yeah, that's like that's that's a great take, by the way. I, I really like that. I was going to ask you um, as a final question. I think I didn't ask you this, and I'm just out of curiosity. When it comes to this, the R and D component of your job, uh, obviously. Um, how's your team set up is 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 there a component of the team that does some of the r&d some of the early testing and and, and whatnot and other people are focused on actually implementing is it shared because obviously the r&d might be fun more, more interesting more fun for some how, how does that split work yeah you know we have a, a range of different ways that we do this here at recursion sort of on a large scale um the teams that i lead are the ones that sort of are focused on this pragmatic piece. And so in that sense, we do very iterative processes and we try to do things that have, you know, sort of relatively short turnaround to value times. Um, And in that sense, many of the folks on my teams are involved in this R&D in one way or another, right? It is they're coming up with methods or they're providing feedback on how it's working or they're helping to level up some of this code in these systems to something that can scale well. Uh, and so I don't know that there's a single rule of how we split it. I think I like to try to match people's interests with the work that they're doing and also make sure that we're we're not developing things in a silo, that we remain connected to the core people that we're trying to serve. Awesome. I love it. Um, I know you're busy. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. If someone does want to touch base with you, because obviously we covered a lot of topics, we could go deeper on a lot of them. If somebody does want to just kind of reach out to you, what's a good way of contacting you? You know, I think probably the best way is through LinkedIn. Um, while they're connect and would love to be in touch with folks if they have questions or have additional follow-ups that they'd like to dig into. Awesome. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Again, thank you for being on. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Uh, we back again, different guests, different topic. And to two things. One, I really like this conversation. I think we could probably dive deeper in any one of these areas and, and do another half an hour on them. Maybe we'll, we'll ask Marissa to come back down the road to do that with us. Uh, share it with somebody else who might find the episode interesting. Also, uh, subscribe, like, uh, leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. I'd always like that feedback. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.